You are listening to WHUPLP Hillsboro. My name is Gilbert Neal, and this is D Sides, Orphans, and Oddities. Hi, everyone. If you would like to hear past episodes of my show, go to dsides.podbean.com. I'm, of course, I'm at WHUP. And lately, I've been doing a lot of uh, jigsaw puzzles. And uh, I like the uh, Hieronymus Bosch and uh, old maps of North America and the world. Those things I like. It's relaxing. And you know, the thing I do... Uh, while I'm doing that, is listen to music that uh, that Mrs. Neal can't stand. Because it's the only time I get to listen to it. I mean, I could put headphones on and stuff, but there's something about just having a room where there's music playing and you're doing stuff and you can hear everything around you. And if the phone rings, you can answer it, stuff like that. Anyhow, uh, tonight I'm going to be playing music that I uh, play while I'm doing that stuff. And other things that you may or may not enjoy. So, I'll see you in a little bit. When you were there, they could wait. But not now, not now, they can't. They never wanted it. They never went out of their way to get it. And now they're getting over it. All of that will be glad you did. Thank you. 
pardon, they'll be glad you're dead. They'll be glad you're dead.
Okay. Wow. That was quite a set, wasn't it? I think, yes. We opened the set with Enormous Tots by Carla Blay from the album Tropic Appetites, which was the follow-up to Escalator Over the Hill. And I think it's an excellent album. You should check it out. Anyway, that's Enormous Tots. And after that, um, a cut by The Move from 1970. The song is called Feel Too Good. Followed by the hidden track, The Duke of Edinburgh's Lettuce. I think. And that track features Roy Wood and Jeff Lynn and Bev Bevan and I think Rick Price of well later on Roy Wood and Jeff Lynn and Bev Bevan would would uh, form ELO. But before that, this was the first album with Jeff Lynne in the move after his The Idle Race group broke up or whatever, or he got bored. I don't know. But Also, on backing vocals, you heard P.P. P. Arnold, who was a singer in a big, sort of a, a star in England, not so much in the United States, and Doris Troy who had a hit in 1963 with a song you know called Just One Look. You still hear it in commercials and stuff. She also sang on the Pink Floyd album Dark Side of the Moon. Also, on that album, Dark Side of the Moon, was, um, gosh, what was her name? Uh, 
sorry, it's, I'm drawing a blank here. Oh, see, the thing about Doris Troy is she she was on Apple Records, and um, she released one album, and it included George Harrison, Stephen Stills, Klaus Vorman, Ringo Starr, Billy Preston, Peter Frampton, Leon Russell, Eric Clapton, and Delaney and Bonnie. And it went nowhere with all that star power. The album went nowhere, but is that something? You can have all those people on your record, and yet when it comes out, it just blah. Single came out, nothing. The single was called Ain't That Cute, and I may play that in uh, later iterations. I'm going to play it tonight. I don't know. But, hmm. There's a song on this album called You Give Me Joy, Joy, written by Harrison, Starkey, Troy, and Stephen Stills. Hmm. Songs by Billy Preston. She did a version of Get Back. That's something. Alan White, who used to, who uh, who was in Yes, I think he is in Yes, sort of, but he played on all those uh, later, well, middle seventies albums, those uh, big albums like uh, Tales from Topographic Oceans and Going for the One, and Tormato, and. Rita Coolidge sang on this album. My God. And it's not because she wasn't a good singer. She's a great singer. Hmm. I'm trying to think. Let's see. She sang on Instant Karma. Um, what else? I'm looking here. She sang on All Things Must Pass. I'm trying to find, because I'm a little ashamed of the fact that I cannot remember um, the name of the woman that I'm trying to think of. Who sang on Dark Side of the Moon. And the only reason I can't think of it is because I'm just so ambivalent. Let's see. And when I find out who it was, I'm going to go crazy because, um, yep, Barry St. John. So Barry St. Barry John was a great singer, and she sang on Dark Side of the Moon with Doris Troy who sang on the Moves Looking On album with Jeff Lynne and Roy Wood. Yeah. You know, recently I listened to some of uh, Dark Side of the Moon for kicks. I was kind of playing it for my son, trying to explain why what the significance was of this record, of that record. And, uh, you know, if you don't listen to it for a few years... And you come back to it and listen to it, it really does affect you. It's really you it's really, really good. I mean, we take it for granted, but it's really outstanding. So anyway, 
Okay. This is Gilbert Neal. This is D-Sides, Orphans, and Oddities. And I'm playing music that I play while I'm doing puzzles. It's not distracting. No, it's not. Onward and upward. Thank you. 
back when records were fun this is whuplp hillsborough my name is gilbert neal this is d sides orphans and oddities and i hope you're having a good night but by me saying that hoping that you're having a good night let's say i'm hoping you have a good night so i'm hoping you're having a good night but by saying that I'm informing you that I'm hoping that you're having a good night. So what does that do for your night? I'm betting nothing except I'm letting you all know that I'm hoping that you're having a good night. So that's, I guess, what they would call virtue signaling. Although I don't think of that in terms like politics or anything like that. By me saying, I hope you're having a good evening, is like me saying, oh, rest in peace. Or, I hope nobody's hurt. Why would you say that? Who are you helping? All you're doing is helping yourself by saying, I hope this, or I don't want you to take this the wrong way, or I hope she wins, or all my best to you. Huh? So I played a set just now. You know, I'm a Carla Blay kick. And Carla Blay released an album in 78, I think, called Music Mechanique which seems to have a component of making fun of the doors. 
although I'm sure that's not what she intended, but it sounds to me like that middle section where that guy is singing um, in a really cheesy Vegas voice about at midnight with the robe and coming to your door and all that stuff. That sounds to me a lot like what Jim Morrison used to say, only they took him seriously. But I, I just love Carla Blay. I love all her stuff pretty much. I don't like the... Um, <clears throat> the stuff that she has been doing with Steve Swallow so much because that kind of bores me a little bit. And Steve Swallow is a, he's her partner, let's say, and um, excellent jazz bassist, but an acquired taste. I mean, he plays with a pick. It's like Paul McCartney playing jazz on that Hofner. It sounds really shallow. and But I mean, you know, I just, it's not my thing. I much prefer her 70s output where it's just nutty. You never know what's going to happen. And uh, that was uh, Music Mechanique, Mechanique. Uh, parts one, two, and three. Um, and after that, you heard a section from Electric Light Orchestra's 1974 album, El Dorado. <sighs> I loved ELO back then. Oh, my God. I loved him so much. Well, it was after that that I discovered that ELO had a bassist named Mike D'Albuquerque before Kelly Grauket. And they had a cellist named Mike Edwards before I knew of Hugh McDowell. I could name all the members of ELO. Nobody cared. Nobody cares now. But it's just a little something I used to do. Anyway, El Dorado was the first album that that Electric Light Orchestra recorded with a full orchestra. And you can hear it all over the place on those excellent, excellent tracks. Um, I played Boy Blue, Laredo Tornado, which I think is almost the peak of them, almost the peak of ELO. I just, I just really like it. And Poor Boy, The Greenwood. This is all a concept album that uh, Jeff Lynn conceived. Um, Walter Mitty type character who journeys into fantasy worlds via dreams to escape the disillusionment of his mundane reality. Aren't we all? Lynn began to write the album in response to criticisms from his father, a classical music lover, who said that Yellow's repertoire had no tune. You got no tune, Jeff. When's your album coming out with some tune? I don't like your tune. I don't like Susan. I don't like Overture 50129. I don't like it. Why are you doing that, Chuck Berry? It's got no tune. So by then, Yellow was doing okay. And they could afford an orchestra. Conducted by Lewis Clark. Who is Lewis Clark? He did Hooked on Classics. People of a certain age will remember. Hooked on Classics was like the big deal. It was like, I think it was a disco beat to classical music. Yes. Disco beat to classical music. And uh, I love this story about um, El Dorado. 
uh, especially on the Wikipedia where he says, and I remember this story, uh, he's talking about the El Dorado Overture. No, the El Dorado Finale he's talking about, which um, Jeff Lynne said of the song, I like the heavy chords, where you can hear the double bass players packing up their basses because they wouldn't play another millisecond past their allotted moment. You know, union players are very strict in that regard. Or they were. Anyhow, um, I don't know. I don't know. Let's see if we can hear it.
confused Sometimes it seems to me As if I'm just being used Gotta stay awake, gotta try and shake off This creeping malaise If I don't stand my own ground
digital machine will help you capture that market. Many young people have the desire, the time, and the money to share the excitement of matching their skills and cars in some form of competition. Others who may never race it still want to own an outstanding performance car like the machine because it helps out their image with the young crowd. A few years ago, they probably had trouble finding the square inches in textbook cylinders. But now they talk easily about cubic inch displacement in relation to stroke and bore. They talk knowingly about horsepower and torque in relation to RPMs. Al, our model salesman, didn't go back to school to get an engineering degree so he could talk to these youngsters, but he did brush up on the features of the new muscle cars that the enthusiasts want to know about. In this film, you'll see how Al presented the Rebel machine to one prospect whose questions would really have thrown him a curve had he not been prepared. You will also have a chance to offer your own answers first. When you hear this tone, you can stop the record while you give your own answer. Then start it up again and listen to Al's answer. His answers are good models to follow. Al Bender's prospect is David Smiley, a 28-year-old bachelor. He makes $10,000 a year and has just recently become interested in high performance and racing. He decided that time has come to get a muscle car of his own. The striking red, white, and blue car caught his eye as he was walking by, and he came into the showroom. Hello, I'm Al Bender. I noticed you did a double take when you saw that car. That's some machine, isn't it? Beautiful. What is it? Well, this is the Rebel machine. Al is about to give a short overall statement about the Rebel machine. He'll position it as an intermediate muscle car. He'll mention special performance features, such as the Ram Air Scoop, hood scoop-mounted tachometer, mag-styled 15-inch wheels, with power front disc brakes, special dual exhaust system, heavy-duty springs and shocks, front and rear sway bars, four-on-the-floor Hurst shift, 340-horsepower engine. These reminders will make it easy to construct your own description of the machine. Stop the record at the sound of the tone and give your own answer. Then start it again. Here's Al's opener. This is the machine. It's American Motors' newest muscle car. It's our intermediate-sized, high-style, high-performance Rebel. It features a Ram air scoop with built-in tachometer, mag-style 15-inch wheels, with power front disc brakes, special dual exhaust system, heavy-duty springs and shocks, front and rear sway bars, a four-on-the-floor hearse shift, and a powerful 340-horsepower engine, all wrapped up in a striking red, white, and blue package that distinguishes the machine from every other car on the road. And you know, the machine will be legally eligible for NHRA and AHRA stock classes. The machine in showroom condition has the capability of recording ETs in the mid-14s for the quarter mile. I can see the air scoop all right, but what's the deal on the tack? Dave is pointing at the tachometer. How would you answer his question? Looks crazy. Looks insane. A distraction. The machine's hood scoop mounted tachometer is lighted, and it's calibrated from 0 to 8,000 RPMs placed in your line of vision so you don't have to take your eyes off the road to read it. 
As you know, the tachometer will help you make use of all available horsepower. Well, that sounds good so far, but if I'm going to put out hard-earned cash for a muscle car, I want to be sure I get a real power package. It was the distinctive racy looks that brought Dave into the showroom, but Dave has just given Al a very strong clue about his main interest. With that clue in mind, which type of feature would you emphasize most in the rest of your presentation to Dave? Comfort features, such as the optional air conditioning. Convenience features, such as optional power steering. Performance features, such as engine horsepower and torque. I don't know. I Send this guy out. It's terrible. I hate him. Al emphasizes the performance features for a prospect like Dave. As a matter of fact, Dave asks so many questions about performance features that Al covers most of them by just answering his questions. Dave really gets started when Al shows him the engine. I noticed that the 390 on the AMX is rated at 325 horsepower. Now, you say this 390 engine turns out 340 horsepower. How come? Mm -hmm. Someone help? The big difference is the improved engine breathing. This is due to performance modifications in both the intake and exhaust manifolding. When does it hit its top power? How many RPMs? Three? 5,100. How many? Well, you get that top 340 horsepower at 5,100 RPMs. What's the story on the torque? It's good. Good torque. Well, it develops high torque at low speeds for a fast getaway. It reaches maximum torque of 430 foot-pounds at 3,600 RPMs. How about the shift? Is four on the floor standard? Oh, yes, indeed. Four on the floor with Hurst linkage is standard for the machine. The Hurst shifter controls a close ratio all synchro mesh gearbox. You'll find that you get faster acceleration and shifting with the Hurst. I've got to try this for myself. Well, let's go. While Al is driving to his chosen demonstration spot, he may talk about some or all of these features. Standard upholstery, bucket seats, the axle ratios, standard power front disc brakes, Optional shift command. Which would you emphasize for Dave? The, the, the air freshener? The seat? Al might mention the bucket seats, but he would certainly emphasize the performance features, such as the axle ratios and power front disc brakes. What would you tell Dave about the standard axle ratio with a four on the floor? His mother? The standard axle ratio with the four on the floor is 354. Is that the best I can get? I don't see making a quarter of a mile in 14 and a half seconds with that. Stop giving me crap, buddy. Well, if you really want fast acceleration, you can get a 391 ratio. I guess you know the higher the axle ratio, the greater the acceleration you can get. But it's the lower ratios that give you the highest top end for touring. On second thought, I don't want to settle for a lower top end. I guess I'd go for this 354 just as it is. Dave is a typical performance enthusiast. As you've heard, he keeps pushing for details that most customers couldn't care less about. But Al is not just an answer man. He is a salesman. He makes sure to tell Dave the advantages of all the major performance features that will help clinch the sale. 
What features still have to be covered with Dave? Ram Air Scoop. Hood Scoop Mounted Tachometer. Mag-styled 15-inch wheels. With power front disc brakes. Special dual exhaust system. Heavy-duty shocks and springs. Front and rear sway bars. Four on the floor shift. Axle ratios. 340 horsepower engine. The, the thing with the... Al still has to bring out the benefits of special dual exhaust system, heavy-duty springs and shocks, mag-styled 15-inch wheels, power front disc brakes, and front and rear sway bars. Once Dave got the feel of the machine, he couldn't wait to do his own thing in his own machine. Whether your customers are well-informed racing buffs like Dave, or average guys looking for the prestige of a top-performance car, you can expect to muscle in on a growing market. The newest member of the Rebel line will do it. As Al says, that is some machine. Yeesh. Anyway, my mother bought a I remember, I remember the day she bought an AMC Roustabout from some huckster in Orchard Park. Some near do well. Where are you? Some slick salesman taking advantage of a poor old lady. What are you doing? Okay. Anyway, I'm tired of talking. You're tired of listening, so. See you next week, probably, maybe. Might stop. Who cares? Oh, can't you get it to go? Is your battery low? No, I don't think so. Try looking under the hood. Try pulling out of the choke. Try looking under the hood. Looking under the hood never did any good. The choke must be broke.
pour it over the seats. that song so well you know that was a guy by the name of john culleton mahoney singing the ballad of evil knievel from 1974 and the reason i remember that so well is because when i was a little baby that song used to play in buffalo all the time and um the reason for that might have been because this was released on the amherst record label and the amherst record label was um, owned by a fellow named Lenny Silver up in Buffalo, New York. And uh, Lenny uh, owned a chain of record stores. Let me take you back to my old days in Buffalo, New York. Maybe I can share a song or two, a story that might make you feel a little better about your own life. Anyway, uh, when I was a kid, I used to think the dream would be to work in a record store. And finally, remember last week when I was telling you about subletting all those apartments? Well, I had to pay somehow for these subletting apartments. And I had two jobs. One of them was um, soliciting funds and selling memberships to the Buffalo Philharmonic. Um, and the other job was working at Record Theater, which was this chain of record stores that Lenny Silver owned. And um, he was also the guy who signed Glenn Mendaro's and convinced Bobby Brown to rap. Well, that's another story entirely. So um, I interview at Record Theater, and I'm thinking, man, this is going to be awesome. All day long, I'm exposed to these records, albums. I can tell people all about Godly and Cream, and I can tell people all about... Uh, the Move and ELO and all this stuff and which solo albums by the Beatles you should buy. And I'll be like a connoisseur. And I'll know, I'll know so much more than anybody who works here. So I go to, go to the interview and um, Lenny Silver sits me down and says, so how much do you think you should be making an hour? And I said, well, I was thinking maybe I could start at 10. And he said, well, how's five? And I said, okay. 
there was the minimum minimum wage. And so that's where I started. Come to find out very quickly that working in a record store is not fun because it has almost nothing to do with records and music. It has everything to do with selling stuff, with operating the cash register. And at the time, there was a ticket office in Record Theater. And I would have to run the tickets into this database. And I was I was an ape. I didn't know what I was doing. So these people would come up to me in the counter when I was doing ticket duty, which was something I dreaded. And um, they'd say, well, I want front row seats to see the whispers. Or I want front row seats to see Bobby Brown. Or I want front row seats to see... Uh, Anthrax or Leonard Skinner or whoever was coming through town. Uh, well, the fake Leonard Skinner. Anyway, and I had to go through this rigmarole, and it's really difficult. It's not like today when you have all these computers and stuff. Everything was paper. Anyway, I worked for Record Theater for a very, very brief amount of time and uh, got very disillusioned very quickly and stopped working there one day. I don't think they even noticed. Maybe they're still waiting for me. I don't know. Before that, Marvin Gaye from the um, Trouble Man soundtrack, T Plays It Cool. And before that, um, the opening credits to a movie that Walt Disney did called The Barefoot Executive featuring Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell, here's a trivia question for you. What were Walt Disney's last words before he shuffled off his mortal coil? They were Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell. Can you imagine Walt Disney, a year, just just a career that nobody had equaled, winning so many Academy Awards, and his last words were Kurt Russell. You know, I hope my last words are to Kurt Russell. I can, I'm practicing now. They're not going to be Kurt Russell. I'm telling you. And they call her the unholy roller. But if you get to know her, maybe you'll find Oh, 
Well, that was awesome. That was Marvin Gaye and the theme from Trouble Man. Some people say I'm kind of a trouble man. Uh, Human Resources says that. Before that, a little slice of trivia. Thanks to my good friend Rick Runyon, who's also the man who came up with the name of this show. And he um, knew that the, 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 the movie Unholy Roller from 1972 was um was it Martin Scorsese one of his early movies Martin Scorsese uh I think edited it or produced it or something let me see what he did what did he do well Martin Scorsese did something to it and that's why we remember it's a, a gritty down and dirty roller derby movie from 1972 it predates um Kansas City Bombers with Raquel Welch and um Rollerball with James Caan, uh, Unholy Roller from 1972, the theme Stay Away from Karen by Louis and the Rockets. Whatever happened to Louis and the Rockets? Well, this is Gilbert Neal, D-Sides, Orphans, and Oddities on WHUPFM.org, and we're winding down another beautiful, wonderful Saturday show. And this is the Begathon, so I'm asking you one more time. Please consider coming on our website, getting on our web, going on our appearing on our, visiting our website at whupfm.org and making a contribution, you know, a cash-like contribution, and all your contributions are tax-deductible, hence the .org. And we promise not to mine your data, notify the thought police of your, this is written for me, thought police of your listening habits, or otherwise invade your privacy or your privacy, other than to warp your minds with our penetrating blend of music and conversation. And I thought that my prattle was pernicious. Well, anyhow, thank you once again for joining me. I'm going to play this song because it should take me up to the top of the hour. But even if it doesn't, you'll hear me from another week um, on Rivendell. Thank you for joining me. Uh, please visit me on the Facebook uh, let me know that you're listening. Let me know that you like what I'm doing. If you have any requests or any ideas for any shows that center around the late 60s or the entire decade of the 70s, please let me know. And I will do that thing and I will make that thing happen. I will. Wait a second here. Oh, I know what I did wrong. Okay, hang on a second. Music.
you hear me? I've been talking very loud. You sure are sleeping sound. Your hands are very cold. Is something wrong? There are so many things I meant to say. Oh, Hannah. I'm too late. Streaming live at 1047. Streaming live at W8. The show where we look back into the past, the not so distant past. It is.